Welcome. So good to have you here. Thank you for having me here, Pastor Darren. Okay, so yes. now you are you are a, a an activist, and you have you have this nickname of Research Mom. Um, yes. You are very involved in legislation and education here in the state of Washington, where things have been and are quite tricky as far as some of the things that they've been trying to push through and some of the things that they're trying to get into the drinking water of our children, hoping that nobody really pays attention, ho hoping that parents yes. won't really care. And, um, and so you are very involved on the back end, the, the part where, uh, where, 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 where for a lot of us, we don't really have an idea of some of the things that have been happening behind the scenes. And I've been looking forward to just having a conversation with you um, regarding what is taking place in our state and not just our state, but especially in a lot of the, uh, the more far left states within our country, there really is a strong agenda right now. You're on the front lines. It's so great to meet you. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, and and it's such a great opportunity to be in this environment of being in a church here, to really connect what's happening, some of the things that we've discovered, and God, because it really is about raising our children in the way that God would want us to have it, in the biblical ways, and that's not what is happening in the schools. Now, what would you tell me? Uh, I've, I've had people say, um, yeah, so we are in a church, and we're talking right. about politics. And I've had people tell me uh, this last year uh, that I should just shut up and that I have no business talking about politics, that there needs to be a separation of religion yes. and politics. So what, what would you say to anybody that's watching this, saying, how dare they? There's a separation of church and state, and Christians or pastors, church leaders have no business being involved politically. What, what would you tell them? I think that is something that has been defined by a dark side to get good people, people of the Bible values to back off because it is really what is happening is the battleground for where we are today whether you know you're hearing about sex ed you're hearing now about the whole racial equity but in a different way defined in some ways that are not equal all of that comes from laws and so if we don't get involved in that battleground of where policies are made, that is why we have lost. You talked about what's happening and how we have to watch what's going on as if it's moving forward. The problem is it happened back here. It already has happened to us. And that's why we're, we are where we are today. And many children don't even take on the same religion as their parents. And so we know, you know, you send your kid to college, and all of a sudden they start defying your values. Um, all of that 
is this whole underlying stream of education indoctrination. Wow, wow, wow. And now, okay, fill us in on a bit of your, your backstory. So your, your, your background is you were an accountant, um, a CPA, um, and this is also a big deal. Back in 2012, um, you were the first, uh, you're the first candidate in over 30 years. Is it, well, uh, ever, actually. Ever. Okay, ever so you're is. the first person ever in our state um, to be a write-in candidate that actually made it on the ballot. Yes. So what, what's, the back, what's the origin story there as far as how you went from being kind of a, a number cruncher to getting politically it's, involved here in our state? It's simply you become a parent. And so when you become a parent and you start seeing what's happening, you want to raise your kids, you want your kids to have good friends, and you start saying, what's happening in the classroom? And so I started spending some time in the classroom, being that room mom, grading papers, being the PTA president, you know, all of those things so that I could see what's happening in the schools. And then going back to, you know, why are you doing it this way? Well, that's the law. And so again, it comes back to this concept that the law matters and we have to pay attention. And being down south in the uh, you know, kind of outskirts of Tacoma, I could easily drive to Olympia. And so I would spend time in Olympia watching the laws, um, reading the laws, testifying on them, trying to stop some of the bad things from happening. Um, and there, every other year, there would be a law that bans private schools and homeschoolers for a while. And, and this group of moms and I, we would read the law, and then we would actually do, you know, rock, paper, scissors. Who's going to go down this time? We would walk wow. in the door and just inform, you know, Senator, on page 3, line 15, this phrase here, outlaws homeschoolers. And sometimes they didn't even know the details of their own laws that were passing, and they would always say, you know, without any doubt, we don't want to do that. And it would be changed immediately. So those are some of the things that, you know. Now, these laws where they're banning homeschoolers and, and private schoolers, were they doing that on purpose? Like, were these things being written up in such a way to, to discriminate against that population? Or were they just simply uh, forgetting about that population, hoping that it, just because it's just not an area of, of concern? So Let's put it this way. Somebody knew what they were doing. But oftentimes, you have this 15-page bill. They're very busy. They don't even get to read every single bill that's on their docket. And so this, I don't blame the actual legislators. Um, they're told, oh, this is a great thing. It's got, well, last year, there was, it's got 90% good stuff in it. But here's this 1% that says we're going to license grandma and grandpa. That happened last year. And so the legislators didn't even realize that on the very last page, page 62, was two paragraphs that start the licensing process of grandma and grandpa. Now, it seems like when it comes to a lot of the things that are, that are being legislated, it feels like a lot of the laws that actually impact us are not things that we actually vote on. So if it feels like the stuff that we vote on doesn't really matter and the things that really matter are getting pushed through on the back end without anyone even realizing um, what's what's taking place and so um, uh, what what has been taking place within the last five years in Washington State and uh, and can you just kind of give us a bit of a wake-up call as to what the what the current what the what this incoming tide 
because uh, it feels like there's something that's very militant and very aggressive at work in the area of of education. And it, for me, it feels personal. You know, I've got four, I've got four children and I actually had no idea what was being taught in our, in our schools. Um, especially my own daughter did two years in a public school and I was exposed to certain elements, but he, that, that concerned Andrew and I to the point where we removed Abigail from, from the public school. We were in the Isquah school district for a year and in the Renton school district for a year. And we only, we saw enough to concern us enough to remove our daughter from that environment. But I had no idea what was actually taking place till just in, the, in this last 12 months. Right. I want to kind of take you back to this story, I believe it's in Luke, where Jesus, he comes back after he, he, he was being resurrected, and he's walking down the street with two people and they're talking about this guy who just died, and, and they don't recognize him. And I believe the verse says, until Jesus unveiled their minds. And so as, as I look back to what you're, you're saying, this is God's timing, and it's God's timing for every family individually. And some minds, he's beginning to unveil. And I only say that because I've been going out speaking for 20 years. Uh, not 20, well, I've been, I've been in this for 20 years. Right. I started going on speaking tours in 2004 to talk about this, to talk about some of the things happening. And I felt that it was deaf ears. And so I look at this as something's going on where the Lord needs us to wake up. The Lord needs something to change. He's preparing us for something more. And so part of this is the unveiling to save our children. And part of what happened is in 2007, the sex ed law passed. Um, there was a coalition of 60 Christian groups trying to wake up the world to stop it. And it passed easily. And so now here we are in 2019, I believe mm -hmm. 20, yeah, 2019, 2020, where we have 3,000 people, parents, coming to Olympia. And I watched that going, this is interesting because I was there in 2007 trying to stop this. Now we're back again, readdressing the same bill, making it worse. And so um, something's going on, and I think this is exciting times. Although for many parents waking up, they're going, oh my gosh, you know. What am I going to do? When, how am I going to raise my children? And I think it's a reminder. God's telling us we need to raise It is the parents. Don't school be in charge. And that's part of, you know, all of this. Um, way back in, in early 2000s, there was actually a change in how you teach mathematics. And so in a handbook to teachers, they said that right and wrong, wrong answers are dysfunctional. So if you have a whole school, a superintendent, a state system saying it is dysfunctional to teach right and wrong answers, that is the beginning of the problem because truth is important, truth is reality, and truth is Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. And, uh, I think it was Bill Gates this last year that said that mathematics was uh, racist. Yes. Unless, unless, it, unless you're his children. 
and and he doesn't put his kids in private in public school. Right, right, so. right. I can tell you that his kids probably are part of one of the, the best yes. mathematics programs. Yes. Right. Um, okay. Now let's dive into this this sex ed bill that uh, that went into effect in 2007, um, and then it was made much worse, as you were saying. And I think that went through was 2019. I think it's 2020. 2020. 2020. And um, now, who were the people that? that were really pushing that through, the people or the organizations that were, that were really lobbying um, to, push, to push that through? It would be, by, by group name, Planned Parenthood, um, probably the National Abortion Industry, the NARAL. Some of Those are some of the groups that were very much for this. Um, you know, also lifestyle was important. So there are groups that wanted to change the lifestyle of families, you know, and they were pushing for this. Because when I when I got a uh, a preview of some of the curriculum and, and supplemental books that were being and I that, have that, some here. <laughs> yeah that, that were yes. being used to me it looked like there was a deliberate uh, strategy to sexually traumatize these children or expose them uh, to to information that would that I think would would um, knock out their their equilibrium I guess to, to lose a sense of of balance in such a way where it's almost felt like it was, it was a way of, 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 of bringing such organized chaos to a child that there would be, and I, this is just me kind of processing through it, that there would be ju- uh, this um, induced confusion for the child so that they can implant doubt regarding their own gender and uh, and that that's the way that I when I was looking at it I felt dizzy when I was looking at this and I can't um, uh, it, it it was shocking to me let alone being a child that has been protected and sheltered and not even exposed to anything too radical and too racy so from coming from uh, uh, an institution of education and from teachers that that most parents just assume. I can trust a teacher. That, that's, that's most parents' assumption. I drop off my child. I don't even ask, most parents don't even ask teachers a whole lot of questions. They just, they put their entire trust in the institution of the school and in the teacher. And they just, so many parents just drop their children off at the school and I, I trust you, just teach them whatever you're, whatever you're going to teach them. Um, only to find out that, that, that parents do such a good job trying to protect their children and trying to shelter the children only to have the very institution that they put their trust in knocking these children into a place of organized confusion so that they get to use a tool like the gender unicorn to figure out what one of 22 classifications of gender they fall into or however many 70 classifications according to Facebook I don't even know how many classifications of gender there are but that is would you say that that is a somewhat of an accurate, uh, what, what's your perception as far as what is taking place right now? With regard to that aspect, first going back to, you know, y- your identity. It's all about your identity wow. and your identity should be in, in you know, God has the f- 
family unit, the dad, the mom, who brings down the identity to the child. And now we have a system that's trying to destroy that. So now we're at that point where it's not just about destroying your culture, maybe, or your values. Mm -hmm. It's about who you are as who you were born to be, a male or a female. And so, yes, the 2020 was a cementing into place of the whole concept that under the, and they're using what's called social emotional learning. Mm -hmm. So, so they're using that? this touchy feely thing and they're saying every child has to become aware of who they are. But in that awareness, it's not aware of who they are as they were born. It's aware of who you think you want to be. And so you have this concept of a, a snowman, a snow person. You can't have a snowman, you know. And and there's a difference between their heart and who they think they are and their physical. And, you know, just that whole thing. And you're, you're showing that to a kindergarten child. Wow. So, you know, wow. you talk about confusion, you know. And so all of that is taking place. It also is taking place, they used to call it the bully law. And every, nobody wants to be bullied. Right. So a lot of legislation says, yeah, we have to stop bullying, you know, thinking you've got that child that's been, you know, hurt in some way. But that bully law actually has now translated to a transgendered law. Wow. So that it becomes a protection of certain types of behavior, yet the Christian child is still not protected. Wow, wow, wow. And, and so, yeah, so the bullying thing has, has definitely, because um, in the past you might have uh, children who take on more of a, uh, of a characteristic. You might have a boy that's taking on female characteristics or has female mannerisms. Mm -hmm. And you would, uh, in that, that boy might be bullied on, on the playground. And so what's being said right now is, uh, yeah, so we're not only taking, taking care of this bullying thing, but we are, we are treating this child with dignity and affirming that these aren't just mannerisms or characteristics, but we're providing this child with these tools so that this child can discover what their real gender is. And, and, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm putting myself in, in, in the shoes of these, of these educators and these curriculum developers, these publishers. Mm -hmm. And, and they're saying that, um, children have not been given a, uh, the tools that they need to help them be healthy humans. And so we're not going to shame them. We're going to help them determine their actual, and we're going to do this because parents are not doing this. So we're going to do what parents are not doing. We're not going to include parents in this conversation. In fact, we're going to keep our curriculum a secret because parents don't ultimately have the right to even know what their, what their children are being taught with this sex ed. And that's one of the parts that's very disturbing to me is it's, it's being done with, with such a, a narrative of we are being so noble. We are serving children here mm -hmm. to see their dignity restored. And we are doing what parents should be but aren't. So because of that, the educational system is now taking on the role of families and parents and, and really, the parents don't have any right to even be a part of this conversation. And, and that's what's going on. And it's going that one step further to say not only do parents not have the right, they don't understand their child, that they are the enemy. 
Wow. And so that's the other now, you know, we're getting to that point. Um, and really, I think there there is something about you can have your different lifestyle, your choices. And I think biblically, we should love everyone, right? So we Amen. should honor everyone and treat everyone with dignity instead of saying, you're this way. And so if you don't just don't agree with this person then you're the bad person and it just simply means that hey i don't want to be that way but i uh, you know i i honor you you can be that way and we're still friends i mean that's the way it used to be and people would have friends of all kinds but now it's making the person that doesn't want to change they're the ones that should be shamed and so that that's what I'm seeing happening is it's going a little bit further so that the new normal is something that used to be a small group of people. And then the, the second part of it is schools and then I'm going to bring in this whole medical, um, medical minor act that now you've got 14-year-olds that the school is putting on medication, um, helping them to go through a whole series of transition and the parents don't know about it. And so I think it's, again, that disrespecting the parent values. We should teach everyone to come together. I mean, the school should be about working with the parents, not ignoring the parents and helping the child ignore the parents. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. So if a counselor is encouraging, if a school counselor is encouraging a, a minor to question their identity and to maybe even consider a permanent uh, a permanent gender change. There's nothing that is not seen as wrong, and, and but if a school counselor is encouraging a minor to um, uh, uh, encouraging or asking questions that would in, that would that would seem like they are nudging a minor to consider honoring their original born gender. Mm -hmm. Anything that looks like it could be what, what's being called conversion therapy, that's actually in some places illegal. I think that even in the city of Seattle, any sort of conversion therapy or any sort of counseling that would be nudging somebody uh, away from taking on a transgender uh, um, lifestyle. If you're a counselor, you can actually get your license um, taken away in, in the city limits of Seattle. Uh, is is that is that correct? Yes, Actually, I believe it could be statewide. Oh, really? The, the the whole conversion therapy, but then you, what you do have is you have let's say, and, and this actually I I heard the story of two brothers. One was the football star, and you know macho, and you know he would lift weights and things. And his brother was the one who was the nerd and maybe really artistic. Um, love drawing or something. So in a way, you have this contrast. And so, of course, Big Brother and all the football team would would say, you know, names to the his brother, like all older brothers do. Sure, sure. But then that kind of stuck now because you have a school system supporting all of that. So even though this boy may like girls and is really just shy about dating, um, he's now kind of pushed into this box and he thinks, oh, I need to be this way. And this happened years ago, but in today's day, then the next step is, oh, do you want to take some medication and some drugs to help you complete your transition? 
So things like that are happening, or you know, the the, the girl, uh, the, actually another is a, a, a girl who's artistic, and she dresses very pain, plainly in jeans and a shirt. She kind of dresses like a boy. And that's just her personality because she's kind of socially, you know, uh, not adaptable. And so the children, so the teachers and the counselors are saying, oh, she must want to be a boy. And they start calling her a boy's name at school. And yet when she goes home, she's the daughter. And the parents did not know this was happening wow. until they went to school and, you know, who's your, who's your, you know, which child is yours? Oh, that one over there. Oh, the one that's transitioning. Wow. And that's when the parents first found out. Wow. 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 So the, the, that, and because all of that then is because we have passed laws again, the bullying law, the sex ed law. And so now as a parent, if I want just to say, no, that's not right. Sorry, you're defying the laws of the land. You know? So that's what we're up against yeah, now, when it comes to, to, to Washington State, I think most Christians probably feel powerless when it comes to being involved with, um, uh, law, with lawmaking and, and legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, there's so many, so, many, so many places I'd love to go in, the, in this conversation, but uh, you don't seem like you've taken on that lie that we are powerless to shape uh uh, laws and to be an influencer. So what would you say to people that are in Washington state that are so fed up, but they feel powerless and they don't even know what to do? When you get to that point where you're powerless, where does the Lord want you to be? On your knees saying, I am powerless. I need help. I don't know how to raise my kids. I don't have money for private school. I think in a way he wants us to get to that point where we go and say, God, what, how do you want me to raise this family you have blessed me with? And so I go back to that. And then just as someone who goes to Olympia constantly and I may be the only person testifying against 25 people that have credentials, you know, saying, oh, this is all great. And I'm going, wait, as a parent, it isn't great. And just know also as these parents start getting engaged, even if they're just going online and getting engaged or drafting a comment, if they pray about it, that becomes their mission. And so the Lord is putting on our hearts a mission to get engaged or to how to raise your family. And so really it's about then we have to be obedient to that mission God has given us and not look to the 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 Goliath that's out there and saying, I'm going to lose. You might lose, but in losing, you have to do what the Lord has mission, you know, commissioned you to do. So if I look at it that way, then no matter what I do, if I am being obedient to the words God wants me to say or the places he needs me to go, then I've done my, my job and you can't look to the whole enemy out there. Wow. It's so good. Yeah, it is so good. Don't be intimidated by, Goliath, because right. that's that's what he tried to do with David, mm-hmm. is he tried to use his big words and his big size to in- intimidate this little boy who God ended up using to mm-hmm. to defeat him. So that is such a good word. Well, we're all the parents are the Davids, Amen. and we are facing the Goliaths. Amen. So we have to learn our pathway to communicate and hear where we need to go, and that's. 
with our families. Amen. Now, I, w- I would love to chat with you uh, about now when it comes to um, politics and, and, you know, uh, I, 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 am, I am kind of uh, newly woke in this, in this area. Uh, but not necessarily competent, okay? I'm passionate, but certainly not very competent as to what's taking place and how to actually be involved. So I speak from a, a place of, of, uh, of ignorance when it comes to a lot of, versus, you know, versus being somebody that, that has been on the front lines like, like, like yourself. From my limited uh, wisdom and from my, just my perspective of Washington State, it feels like there's not a lot happening within the GOP uh, within within our state, um, and I don't have any sort of personal um, uh, angst against any of the people that have run for governor. But it feels like the 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 caliber of of leaders that are really needed to really win in our state that there's not a lot of of strategic effort or even even really that the GOP party's even really trying to win I see some incredible individuals and it feels like they're going after it but it doesn't feel like they have really the support of 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 the GOP behind them and um and so I don't know I could be wrong um but I'm wondering like has the greater GOP kind of thing just given up on Washington State? Have they said, well, that's just a liberal state. That's just who they are. That's where all the liberals live, so we never will be able to turn that state red. Um, or And please, Sharon, rebuke yes. me because I am so correctable. And like well, I said, I, I don't really know anything. But, but what the heck is happening with this party in this state? One thing, <laughs> you know, from what you're seeing when it comes to candidates is that it's about money and the you know other party because they are funded by many large special interest groups those special interest groups are getting their money from us because they are getting laws passed to fund the special interest groups and these special interest groups are using that money to pave their way and their candidates so that's one thing is that financially sometimes it's difficult for a particular candidate to raise the funds, yet they're running against a, a Democrat that has unlimited money, okay, that, that we see that all the time. Um, one thing, though, in, in this year, again, we're changing, you know, this new era. We have some races going on that the, um, the national level is really having their eye on our senator race and the 8th district race. And so they are beginning to pour more resources into our state. Oh, interesting. So from the state level, it looks like they are not participating and they are not. Um, but, and, and I'm going to just use the governor's race. And you've yeah. got 15 Republicans running for office, four very viable ones. And it seems like the Democrats never have that problem. But they, I, I don't know if they're able to just say, you, you know, you quit. And there is this obedience to the party that they will quit. Whereas we have independent thinkers. We have people that are just, you know, they really feel that God has put them in place. I mean, when you talk to these candidates, they, they feel that way. 
So it's really hard to say, you know, three of you go out so we can actually win. Um, and, and that's some of the things that we're faced with is that we have people that think independently that um, really feel that they are the better candidates. So it's, and, and that's been difficult for the party to try to weed them out and say, no, you guys, you know, I'm going to lock you in a room. I wish I could do that. Lock you in the room, you know, give you those big gloves or a sumo thing, you know. Yes, <laughs> and, and then, yes. And just let you duke it out and the last person standing, you know, is, is the one we want, but. So it's not actually as easy as like a headquarters somewhere like in Washington D.C. That's like we are we are going to take Washington State. We're going to get our own version of Arnold Schwarzenegger, a, a big, yeah. big, big name that's super conservative. That's going to make a lot of waves, and we're going to do. Every, we're going to get put money behind him. We're going to get Washington State. It's not actually that easy, I guess. Um, I think the closest thing we have had in years is Tiffany Smiley. Wow. And then, wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, I'll share with you something, and, and for our Seattle Revival Center mm -hmm. family that are watching um, this po this podcast, this will be new information that they that they won't. This will be brand new, so they'll be hearing this. Uh, we announced um, this last year that we were going to be starting our own uh, private school, and it was really it was really our desire to um, to do it in such a way where it catalyzed courage within the hearts of uh, of the saints. That if you're a church, if you have a church, you should consider starting a school in your church because, as we know, the the institution of education was originally a mandate to the church. Right. And so we've got an educational system in our country because of the Church of Jesus Christ, right? And we dropped that ball, so on and mm -hmm. so forth. The government took it on. So we had the passion, we had the courage, here we go. And we, I mean, we set, we set the whole thing up, got it set up as its own 501c3. You know, we got the bank account all set up, started working on the branding website, school handbook, you know, all of this. We had the thumbs up from our city. We had the thumbs up from the, from the fire chief. We had the thumbs up health and safety inspector. Everything's looking great. All of a sudden, after Christmas, we get contacted from the city and, and they said, well, wait there's something that we need to look at here regarding your occupancy uh, stats. So we had a school here for, for over 25 years um, that started in 1983. Uh, and so we had a school here, accredited school, uh, all, went all, all the way to, to high school. And, um, and it, it ended um, in the late 90s. Um, and so we thought, here, here we go. We got the thumbs up from, every, from everybody. Uh, I had a conversation with a big funding organization for private education. These guys, had a, these guys got tons and tons of money. They got a big heart. They're very involved with legislation um, nationally. And he told me, he said, it's, we've got to work through the legislation component because right now churches just can't start private schools because they have to get up to code. On, on average, it takes about $200,000 for, for a church uh, to be able to change the code of their building to where they can actually um, host a credited school in their building. And I said, I told them, you know, I said, well, not for us. We've got the thumbs up from everybody. Here we go. So um, he, he said, that, you know, it's just, it's just not set up that way. So we, uh, we get a call from the city after Christmas, and they said, um, listen, your occupancy code, your coding for your building, um, is not set up for education. And so the only way that you can um, have a school there 
is your entire building has to get up to code. We said, well, what does that mean? Well, we started playing this big, this big game with them because they said, well, you have to give us stuff. Well, what kind of stuff? Well, we don't know. We'll call you back. This is going to cost money. Well, how much money? We don't know. We got to meet. It finally culminated to last week. They had a special meeting just to talk about our Zion Christian School that we were going to start. They had a whole bunch of city people around the table. And they called, they called us up and they said, nope, you're, you're, this whole thing is going to have to be permitted. You're going to have to get up to code. Send us your plans. What plans? We don't know. We'll call you tomorrow. It's just this, this huge game after already having an email documentation saying, you're good to go. After the fire chief saying, hey, here we go. You know, he wanted us to have a school. You know, health and safety inspector said, this is going to be great. Uh, you got one lady at the city that, that it was very obvious, okay, that, um, uh, that she was not a fan of us even having a, uh, having a school. And so we find ourselves in a position that so many other churches are finding themselves in that legally churches have the right to educate. They just don't have the right to educate in their buildings, which is, um, which is just... Uh, so anyways, my blood is still uh, kind of boiling because... And it's the city codes then. The city of Newcastle is... Yeah, this, it, that'd be the city, the city of Newcastle. Even though we had a legal credited school, you know, for over 20-something years. So I have heard rumors that there is a large turnover of council members in, in the city of Newcastle and that there was recently a change. I don't know how positive that change would be for you. Um, but I'm going to go back to first, the city council people are the ones that pass the, the laws. So people matter. You know, you, wow. we're, we're going back to elections and wow. candidates. Wow. People matter. And that when you vote, you really need to evaluate who that right person is. Because this is an example that you have the right council. And then this would have been smooth sailing because you already had all the approvals. But now you have one person that blocks it. And so the question then is, it, again, the political gain, game of, you know, do you have a majority in the vote? And to, uh, in essence, lobby the council? I mean, at this point, uh, you know, that's kind of what I see is possibly where you are. That, yeah, that's, yeah, that's really, that's, I mean, we've had favor with the city in previous years. Right. Uh, and then because of COVID and everything, and now that we don't have chamber luncheons, et cetera, et cetera, right? So we haven't had the closest relationship with the city. It felt like there's two kind of aspects of the city. There's kind of the political side of things. And then there's kind of the more mathematical, this is, this, this is, is just. The room that, this is the policy of planning exactly. department. And, but planning departments all the regulations have to be approved through council. So then it goes back to the, the council know what they did. Well, and they, and they weren't even aware of what their own regulations that's, were. So that's why that's that. why it took us about six weeks right. of not even getting returns back on our emails uh -huh. because they didn't even know what their own regulations and policies were. Um, from what we were hearing from this nationwide organization is that this is pretty common, that just for a church to be able to legally qualify uh, to be considered not just an assembly dwelling, but a place where, the, where, but where they can get their E status, that it's almost set up in such a way where churches are, outside of being perhaps like a co-op, um, but even then, oftentimes there's, there's so much criteria where working parents, it's hard for them to even 
Um, so, and there, there seems like there's also some very tricky things that are happening with the co-op scene to provide private education using the co-op as a loophole to be able to, to mm-hmm. do so. And I, and I get it. And, and I fear that if, public, if the public sector of education continues to get worse and worse and worse, that we might see an underground educational yes. scene that is not even necessarily legal, but it's, it's, it's parents saying we're homeschooling and yet using these underground There's- private private I education think, scenes you know being innovated innovative that there are um I, i'm thinking of avenues to help parents working with churches and things and just to, to go back again the other side and more so i don't know about the city council but in in olympia you have your laws which are called rcws then the agency can make their own rulemaking and so we have a situation where the agency for early learning, um, which was called Department of Early Learning, now it's called Children, Youth, um, DC, Department of Children, Youth, and Families, that they had a rule that says that when you have the lighting system in your building, it has to be of a certain level. And so they would have a daycare in a, build, in a school gym. So during the day, the school gym was approved for K-12, which was a different agency with different sets of rules. Wow. But yet the minute 3 o'clock came and you turned it into an after-school daycare, it was not allowable, and they had to shut down their daycare because of that. So I, you know, I'm thinking it's things like that possibly, room size, right. lightings, um, you know, bath, how many bathrooms, and you know, all of that. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I think for us, we're we're told the ballpark could be two hundred to three hundred thousand mm-hmm. just to get our building up to code because we have three buildings here um, that were built in different time eras: one in the sixties, mm-hmm. one in the seventies, and one in the eighties. And um, and so for us, it just said the school is out of the equation uh, for now um, until we have the kind of uh, either the, the finances to be able to do this um, or until there's new legislation that would go through that says, mm-hmm. if you are a church, you do legally have the right uh, to educate and we're not going to require y- your building to be at the same level as if it was a brand new building being constructed. Would it have made a difference also, um, you had mentioned you got your 501c3 yep. um, to run the chur- the school under the umbrella of the church. Yeah, we asked the city that, and they said it doesn't make any sort of difference because we were certainly willing to do that as well. Make it Seattle Revival Center, you know, elementary school. Actually, I would recommend, I'm going to put my CPA hat on. Okay, yeah. I would recommend that because as we move forward with certain regulations, um, certain policies, as a 501c3, you are a standalone organization, and you have to jump through some hoops to prove that you are a religious organization, whereas if you are under the church umbrella, it's automatic. Yeah. And so I recommend really to good. try to do that. And also, if they try to put policies on you that go against the values of the church, um, there actually was a law that says for every organization, you have to have the right amount of women and you know gender type people on your board of directors. And so to get away from that, if you're 501c3, you would have to qualify for that as a Washington nonprofit. As a church, you, if they tried to push it on you, you have religious liberties under the Constitution and yeah. you have more power. That's really, really good. Uh, and it also makes me think about maybe circling back around and 
um, and going to city council and telling them, uh, I, I would imagine the council probably has no idea that this is even taking place. And, um, and maybe even meet, there's one other Christian church in our city, uh, be it Tikva and maybe in Highland and I are good friends, even, even for the two churches in the city to be able to go and say, we believe that we have the right to educate, um, and that our city should have a private school as an option, which it does. There's no private school in Newcastle. <laughs> and so, um, this is, th this is very helpful when it, when it comes, when it comes to, so thank you for, for letting me That's kind of tell you a bit of our story as well as some recent. Has everyone out there now. Yes, recent frustration. But I think that these conversations are helpful because I do think that I, I know of many churches that want to start schools. Um, I know many parents that are wondering what, what, do they, what do they do right now. I know many pastors that wonder if they're even allowed to be political. So what, what's your thoughts on, on political pastors and 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 merging politics with with the church and our Sunday morning environments. I think I'm separating candidates versus the values. Okay. And I believe that churches and pastors need to get engaged in the values. Now, according to if you are a 501c3 or others, you're not supposed to endorse candidates. Okay. Although I don't know if you remember Pastor Ken Hutcherson. Yes. Yes, and he used to have his little week where he would stand up from the pulpit and say, "I endorse these three candidates." <laughs> and you know, the, the last year that he did that, it was in 2012. I was one of the three candidates. Oh, were you really amazing? Yeah, so he I got was such to go an up awesome there pastor. and you know, and do an appeal to the congregation to vote for me. I mean, just flat out. He this did it was anyway. campaigning. Yeah. You know, and it was videotaped and sent to the IRS. Oh, was it really? <laughs> yeah, he does that every year. So Ken actually sent it to the IRS. Yeah, I think he did. Oh, or, my goodness. Or the churches were recommended to do that. You know, hey, you know, we're up front. We're doing this. Um, he never got penalized wow. for that. Wow. Um, so, you know, in a way, it's that fine line is, you know, the, the law. I mean, there's don't endorse candidates. Well, for those pastors that are kind of trying to walk that line and say, okay, I won't, but all the candidates can come, and if you share my values, you know, we're, we're going to showcase you. And that's how you do it is, you know, you're not looking at parties, you're not really looking at them as a candidate, but is this a man or woman who shares my values? You know, and I think that every pastor should do that, especially the ballot initiatives, you know, that we... I was part of the um, mar uh, the law to keep marriage being man and a woman. Wow. And wow. there were churches that refused to talk about it. But that was totally wow. okay. There's nothing wow. wrong with talking about the issue. Yeah, that's really, really good. I, I definitely understand the reasoning for wanting to keep 501c3 separate from politics and that you could have these full-on political organizations um, basically right laundering funds to pol to political yes. candidates and i certainly get that but i i certainly cannot see um how the churches right that are keeping the the, the financial mm -hmm. part set i mean so yeah and, I, I they can't spend money on political ventures maybe not writing the check to the candidate but any c3 or c4 can actually support a cause and they can support the issues outright and that's yeah that's really really good yeah, that's really, really good. Yeah. 
there's like I said, there's so much, there's so many different ways that uh, there's even some soapboxes that I'm trying not to to step ah. to step on and, and say, hey, you know. But this really is a time of awakening, I believe, uh, within within the church. For a long time, uh, the, the the American church has been very very moderate and never wanted to really, you know, even for myself, my my background has always been like, well, the whole thing is just corrupt, so why even be involved, you know? Which is not a good kind of kind of maybe a typical millennial kind of. Uh, you know, uh, perspective, but certainly not a good or godly, I mean, because basically what it is, is it's just saying, um, it's just an advocation of any sort of, of government. And I think to a great degree, the church, because of a certain level of hope deferred, um, has has remained outside of these conversations when it comes to education, you know, when it comes to, to, to government, two, two of the most important conversations that the church, that the body of Christ needs to be happening right now. What, what do you feel, Sharon, is are some things that are taking place right now that maybe the majority of Washingtonians or Americans don't even realize what's taking place? They really should, they really should care. They should be aware. They should, they should know what's taking place. What do, what do you feel like is some stuff that's going on right now that people aren't even aware of, and they, they should be? Back in the 1990s, there was a shift in the philosophy of teaching education. Um, the shift went away from the teaching of knowledge to the teaching of process. What that does is it changes the way a child's brain works. It actually changes to a new method of thinking. Um, I, act, I have a name for it. I call it the rock thinker or the lava lamp thinker. Really? Okay. So the rock thinker is concrete, sequential. You know, there's always truth. The lava lamp thinker, that glob is your truth. And so you can float around and go to another glob, and that becomes your new truth. That also means that peer pressure is more important than doing the right, th doing the right things. So that change actually, I believe, has been taken place in the school system in Washington State more so since 1994, early 1990s, when they created the Wassel test. Mm -hmm. So when they brought in that testing system, that was a transformation. And that's where they took away truth in math and take away truth in science. So when you take away truth, then you're left with my idea of reality is based upon my peers. It's based upon what the school is telling me. And so you don't have that anchor to, to that concrete thing. Yeah, my parents taught me that way, but my lesson says, what's Christmas tradition do you want to change? Okay. So you have essay questions in literature class that's questioning your parents' values. So not only that is it math, it's language arts, it's your essay questions that are training the child to separate from the parents. That has been going on since the 1990s. So you were seeing what they don't know. In a way, I'm kind of looking at this mass and vaccines that God's looking at all his children saying, why are you still in this school? And so I'm going to create this so that you can now have your kids at home. I want you to see what they're learning. I want you to see this. 
and see the dysfunctionalism of the school. So there's a part of me that says God is taking something evil and he wants to turn it into something good for those who are willing to listen. That is so good. We were at a co-op just this last week, Andrea and I, uh, checking it out, interviewing them for the possibility of our children attending. And Andrea and I said to each other, it's so funny, the questions that we are asking now are, comp- are radically different than the questions that we would have asked you know, three years ago because we are so much more involved in the education of our, of our children that we've almost had to become in the same way that because of just the train wreck that the medical industry has become, that if you are not your own primary care provider, uh, uh, you could get yourself into some real, real, real problems, you know, and uh, because you've got this big box medical that just wants to drug you to death. And the same thing is happening with uh, big box education where it's, 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 um, it's, it's fascinating for Andrew. So we're asking very specific questions regarding the philosophy for, for the, behind the curriculum, uh, uh, the expectations on the, on the, on the children. And, and so I think parents are realizing that it is their responsibility, not the responsibility of the teacher, not the responsibility of the school or the school district. It's the, the ultimate responsibility of the parent to be the primary educational accountability for the children. That means that as parents, we have to know what our kids are learning. Um, we we should be involved in the homework uh, of our of our children, and and especially if, if parents have the ability to to homeschool and to be involved in in the actual um, investigation of curriculum and the discerning mm-hmm. of philosophies, it's it's fascinating um, how a curriculum and how a child's educational journey can be so custom tailored to that child's unique ability right. to learn. And I think so many times it's just easier to say, oh, my child has ADHD or my child just isn't good at math. And we take on these defeater beliefs that I'm just born a certain way. You know, it goes like even the whole strength finders movement and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's just this idea of this is who you are by DNA, you know? And that's, and that's you know, but the truth is that our children can improve in any area and that if us as parents are willing to be involved in the education of our children, whether they're in public school, private, or, or co-op, or anything right. like that, that if parents will say, I'm going to take responsibility for the education of my children, we can see that these labels that get put on our kids, ADD, ADHD, mm-hmm. autistic, all these different labels, that because I can put a label on you, and then that label will excuse why you're not going to measure up in that area, versus saying, no, 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 my child is capable of improving in That's- any sort of area, and uh, and there is a grace to improve. They might not be that you know, the Michael the goat in that particular area, but um, but they can improve and they can yes. grow. And and there's another concept that parents are not always aware of. It's this word constructivism, and that's where the children construct their own knowledge. And so what we have in a math class is the problem is to learn how to multiply fractions. And you get in your groups of four, and each child must figure out their own way of multiplying fractions. But if the teacher stands in front of the room and teaches them, that is a dysfunctional teacher. Wow. 
And so that whole concept that, oh, children are going to come up with their own ideas, and they're telling you this lie. They will remember it better if they create their own method of doing it. So now you're trying to help your child with math, but they had figured out all this other way. And they do get the wrong answer most of the time, because they don't know how to line up the numbers and just do it. Um, and yet, that's what I mean by the process and the concept that the child has created this own way of doing their math. If you have to do things like multiply and you're still doing rows four times three, four rows of apples, and you're making it pictorial, or you're lining up you know, 16 times 32 and you line up the numbers 16, 32 times and add it up, yes, you understand the concept of multiplication, but you're never going to do algebra and you're never going to be able to do the higher level math you need to become an engineer. That is, that is so wild, isn't it? It, it makes me think of, um, was it in Oregon where they said that reading, writing, and mathematics were not going to be a core part of their curriculum or expectations? I, I can't, I don't know where, what state said that. But yeah, I think, I think it was in Oregon just this last, that's crazy. in 2021. That's, uh -huh. So then what is going to be the core part of your Social curriculum? Social emotional learning and making sure of the whole child approach that you're happy. You know, that's, that's actually supplanting this knowledge base because you don't have to have exact spelling. You don't have to know punctuation um, as long as it's read, what they call readable. So you're misspelling words, you don't punctuate. There's no uniformity to language anymore. There's no handwriting, right? You don't do cursive anymore. So they're taking away a lot of things just in the whole language arts world. They're removing that. They've removed absolute truth. And I'm thinking, what is that child going to look like? And so that's the part where parents can start looking. What is it that I think should be done just, you know, your gut feeling, and what am I seeing happening? Because I think if you just, you know, know truth and know God, you know what should be happening, and if it's not happening, you as a parent need to intervene. So there's obviously a, a globalist strategy to turn this next generation into an incompetent, what I call is the lava lamp mentality. This lava lamp, you know, yeah, yeah. Because it almost seemed like there'd be some sort of evil empire in another country that wants to completely dismantle our economy. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to be the publishers of, of educational curriculum. And we're going to teach these children how not to think. And, uh, and we're going to, because to me, it just seems like, it seems so anti-American. It seems so anti-success um, to basically raise this um, a generation of, of, you know, incompetent children who are unable to, to read, write, mm -hmm. be able to, to engineer anything of any sort. If children can't do math, who's going to build our bridges? Who's going to build our towers, well, you know? I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, one of my friends was in a meeting with um, a, a group of professors and asked that question because they said, look at this math you're teaching, look at these books with no numbers in it. And the answer was, the engineers are ruining the world because they're making roads that have cars that are going to destroy our climate and our buildings are going to destroy our climate. So that was the answer. They really 
don't want the engineers. So the future of the world is fewer humans and you will own nothing and you will be happy. Like this, you know, this... this You'll be happy because you don't know that you're not supposed to be this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, to me it seems like the narrative that's trying to be pushed through is to not be fruitful and to not multiply. That, that humans are the main problem with this earth, which is so anti-Genesis 1 and 2 of this great right. God who fashions everything, and these, these image bearers in his own image and likeness, and the mandate is to be fruitful, succeed, you know, and multiply, and have children, you know, and it feels like everything that is, that is, that is being pushed through, through these very manipulative means, is so anti-Christ and so anti-fruitfulness, and, um, and that's where we really need the church to wake up, to realize this yes. is a spiritual problem. This isn't just a political problem. This is a spiritual problem because the attack isn't just against America. The attack is against in the Edenic mandate, the first initial commission from Yahweh Elohim for his creation to function Excellent. in a very specific way. And, and you start off by mentioning... You know, it sounds like there's, you know, what country is doing this to us? I don't think it's a country. I think that this is the battle that has gone on since Adam and Eve. This is the snake that has been able wow. to talk to everybody. Wow. And, but yet in our hearts, we know that we don't have to succumb to it. And that's where this awakening is happening. And I think, that, you know, that we're being called to wake up and say, I'm going to save my child. You know, I'm going to do something different. But sometimes, uh, you know, if you don't know that there's constructivism and you can't identify, gee, this is crazy math, but yet realize that crazy math is re destroying the ability to think logically and think straight. So, so that's kind of what I've been doing with my presentations is going around to various different groups. And I'd love to come back and do a lesson for your own yes, you know, yes. congregation here. Um, just on some of those details. How do I identify what's happening? It's called pedagogy, methods of teaching. How do I identify which methods are te of teaching are really destroying the child? versus uplifting in a biblical way and thinking. Um, and, and I want to say that it's the teachers. They are the front line in that battlefield. And we have wonderful teachers out there. And the teachers want to do a good thing. Sometimes, though, when they go through teacher training or they're saying, you have to use this book, um, there are some schools that say you can't do flashcards and rote memorization anymore, yet there are teachers that are doing a wonderful job. So it's not the teachers, sometimes it's not even the principals, it's that system of governance coming down through the laws and that we need to support the good teachers and the principals. And Thank you so much for bringing that up. You know, I think that's such an important thing for us to be reminded of is the, we have so many incredible God-fearing teachers. teachers who are refusing to teach a lot of the crap that they're right. being given in these books. And they're saying, no, I'm not, I'm not going to teach it. I know one teacher, she won't even, t she, there's one particular book, it won't even leave her desk. And she's being told she has to teach this in her classroom. Right. It just stays right in her drawer. You know, yes. so we, yes, we need to, uh, we need to bless our, our teachers. We need to pray for our teachers, Absolutely. pray for our Christian yes. principles, even our unchristian principles, <laughs> and, and, and really even um, provide more opportunities for 
Christian training, kingdom training, and, uh, and community and collaboration so we can bring these people together. They, they have to feel isolated uh, right now in just this weird kind of uh, right. place where we're at. Uh, so I, I so appreciate you bringing that up as well. These, these heroes, these teachers, yes. these principals that are on the front lines sti sticking up and fighting for righteousness. Mm -hmm. So yes. big. Well, hey, Sharon, I really want people to connect with you. We have people that will watch this um, throughout the nation. And uh, so now I, and I'll be happy to include your contact information in the show notes. So for people that are watching, um, it, please reach out to Sharon, ask her questions, get connected with what she's doing. But what's the best way for people to follow Probably you? It's the, um, I started an organization called My Family, My Choice. Awesome. It's myfamilymychoice.org. Um, I've been doing a lot of legislation. That's probably the best way to connect with me. That's awesome. Um, MyFamilyMyChoice.org. Yes. We're going to go there. We're going to check it out. We're going to follow you in what you are doing. It's so important. It's so needed. Such an honor to connect with you today and to have this, this conversation. Certainly, let's do it again. And for everybody listening and watching, get involved. And ask your pastor if he's involved how he's involved. If your pastor's not involved, lovingly nudge him and say it's time to get involved. It's time for the Church of Jesus Christ to mobilize, uh, to see some things shift and change within our country. And I would say if you are watching, that means God is putting something on your heart. Go with it. Yes. Come on. Come on. God bless you, Sharon. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me here. Awesome. How'd it go, Mike?